You guys know anyone in your life who kind of perpetually goes from one thing to the next? Like every time you see them, they seem just really, really excited about this one thing. Uh, maybe it's this new hobby. Maybe it's this new job um, or this new diet. I don't know if diets are still a thing anymore. But they're just obsessed with this idea or this thing. And then you don't see them for a while. Maybe it's a couple weeks. Um, and then you see them in the grocery store. And you're like, hey, how's it going? And they don't even bring up that thing. Instead, they have this new thing that's incredible, this new job, this new hobby, whatever that is. Anyone know someone like that? Well, that really describes me. Confession time, being honest here a little bit. Um, growing up, I'm just going to give you one example. This is, this is really who I am to a T. Um, I wanted to learn how to play the guitar. I thought it'd be this, this great idea. I had friends who were like in bands and stuff. Um, and, you know, I wanted to be in a band or something like that. So I thought it'd be this great idea to get this guitar. The only problem was guitars cost money, right? They're not free. You can't just grab one unless they're terrible. Um, so I did what any teenager would do, and I talked to my parents. I asked them, hey, there's a sweet guitar that I would love to have. It's a sunburst orange guitar. It's a Squire made by Fender, way cheaper than Fender. But I really, I really, really need this thing. And so whatever ev every loving parent does, um, they say, of course, after arm twisting, lots of arm twisting. And I think I said I, I would pay him back. My parents are right over there. So you could talk to them. Um, I think I said I would pay him back, and I don't think I ever did, um, to be honest. Uh, but anyways, I waited for that, that guitar to come. It was free shipping, great thing. This is before Amazon Prime, so it was like a week. Remember those days? It's terrible. <laughs> terrible. No two-day shipping. So I waited. I waited for this guitar. It showed up. And I was excited, asking my parents every day, hey, is the guitar here? Showed up took it out of the, the cardboard box with all the bubble wrap. Now they replaced bubble wrap, too. Just, just going downhill, guys. Anyways, got this guitar, and I played it for like a week straight, for a very long time, like a half hour a day. Um, really love this thing. And then after that week, I kind of forgot about it. And for seven years, it collected dust. And then I ended up giving it away to somebody. Um, sorry, Mom and Dad. I did that. And it, it's funny. Uh, maybe you know someone like that. Um, maybe it's your spouse, but don't tell them that. Otherwise, you're going to be sleeping in the doghouse tonight. But maybe you know somebody, and maybe that person's you. But have you ever thought about how sometimes our relationship with God is a lot like that? Like one moment, we're really excited about it. We're committed. We're living for God. We're engaged in God's word. And then the next moment, we're living for ourselves, uh, really focus on what we want in life, um, or we make things that weren't intended to be God, gods in our life, things that God created that aren't necessarily bad, but they become ultimate in our lives. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like you're living for God one moment and the next moment you weren't. It's like this game of ping pong. And it's more than, like what Scott was saying, it's more than this external problem, this behavior problem. It's a heart issue. 
And this is what scripture is very clear on. This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. But before that, um, I want to talk about what he, he tells Pharisees who kind of tried to fix their hearts externally. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. There's a whole bunch of woe to use in this passage. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Like, just imagine if we did that with our dishes at home. Like, hey, can you do the dishes? I don't know if you guys have dishwashers. And you just clean the outside and then you eat out of it? That'd be gnarly. It'd be disgusting. But this is what our hearts are like sometimes. They are gnarly. They are disgusting at times. So God is ultimately concerned with our hearts, not necessarily our behavior. He understands that it's our hearts that need to be transformed before our actions. And so today we're going to be talking about a few Beatitudes, so I want you to turn to your Bible in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 8. And this is really the theme throughout the narrative of Scripture and the Beatitudes is our hearts. So Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, shouldn't really shock us in a big way, but they are a big deal. And this is what he says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you're like me, when you read scripture, sometimes you kind of just read things and move on really quick. Uh, but today, I really want to kind of go in slow-mo a little bit. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with asking this question. What does it mean to be pure in heart? I mean, it's not a phrase we use all the time. Like, hey, that person's got a pure heart. So let's start with the word pure. Today, people love things that are pure, you know, purebred dogs. I don't know if they have purebred cats, but it really doesn't matter because cats are awful. Um, you can you can pray you can pray for me, guys. If you love cats, you are you are welcome here in this place. Um, pray for me, Jim. Pray for me, Jim. But also, we like purified water. You know, we 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 buy these Voss six dollar water bottles, the Fiji, whatever just to have this purified water. Organic foods without preservatives, you know, Trader Joe's, shout out to Trader Joe's. There's a whole grocery store dedicated to that. So pure means clean and not mixed with anything else. It means kind of the single devotion, the single completely in the context here is a single-minded, complete focus on God. The singleness of heart. And the other word in heart means everything that we think, we feel, and act is to be in line with God, focused on God. It's to will one thing. It's to desire to do one thing. And the pure, pure of heart is not this cardiovascular health thing. It's not saying you have a healthy heart. So when he says, blessed is the pure of heart, it's really talking about the core of who you are, the core of your being. We are to be pure of heart. And James talks about this too. In James chapter 4, verse, verse 8, this is what it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So a pure heart is one that is not double-minded, one that is not divided in its loyalty. To give you an example of this, um, I want you to think about Vikings fans a minute. Um, this is Minnesota, so shout out to the Vikings. 
But last season, if you remember at all, the Vikings went 6-0. and And all you, s- all you saw were, like, people just freaking out, like, Skull Vikings, you know, that ridiculous song. Now it's a cooler chant, way better. Uh, but anyways, they were these diehard Vikings fans, and then they started losing. And you started to hear less and less about how great the Vikings were. And eventually, they didn't even identify as a Vikings fan at the end of the season. They loved the Patriots. So, not all. There's some There's some in here who are true Vikings fans. But that's kind of the idea. It's not a bandwagon kind of heart. It's not a Golden State Warrior fan who can't name players past five years ago. Uh, this is This is a heart that is loyal to God. And Jesus summed it up in this way. He said, talking to a Pharisee in Matthew 22, verse 37, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So this sounds really great, right? Hey, let's have a pure heart. Let's do it. Let's go do this. But what's, what's the problem here? What is the condition of our heart by nature? Do we naturally have these pure hearts that love God completely Um, and I think scripture has a lot to say about that in fact the prophet Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 17 9 he says the heart is deceitful above all things there's lots of things in life and that's above all things and desperately sick who can understand it so that's sounding real positive right now about our hearts desperately sick deceitful above all else And Jesus said this to some Pharisees who were concerned about what they're eating and some purity stuff in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. This is what it says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So that by nature is the condition of our hearts. And if you don't believe that, I just want you to think about your week this week. Just take a moment, you know, reflect on your week. Um, I don't know if you guys ever have moments in your week where you kind of catch yourself saying, I can't believe I just thought that about that, or I can't believe I just said that or did that thing to that person. And you become most aware of your heart. For me, it's when I'm driving. I don't know about you guys, when you drive, maybe you're like a cool-headed person. You know, I'm fine in the grocery store, you know, Life is good, groceries. I'm finding the golf course now, praise God for that. But when I get behind the wheel, especially by myself or with people that I have a really good relationship with, don't worry, when I'm driving your students, I don't, I don't exemplify this, I hold it in. But when I'm behind the wheel, I become almost this Hulk character. So I'm driving and someone pulls out in front of me, cuts me off, and then proceeds to drive 10 miles under miles an hour under the speed limit. It takes every bone in my body to not yell things or do things that I would probably regret. But on a more serious note, I think all of us can agree that the human heart is broken. I think when we see the division of our, our nation, of people around us, the hatred, the racism, the greed, I mean, I could go on and on. We all realize that we're desperately broken people with hearts that are broken, that need to be fixed. 
And apart from Christ, this is where our hearts are. They're rebellious towards God. They're rebellious towards people. They're self-seeking. So if our hearts are impure, how do they become pure? What's the solution to this problem that we have? You see, the solution was costly. This was not a cheap solution. You see, Christ had to die on our behalf because of our sins, because of our hearts, because of our rebellion towards God. And he had to conquer death by giving us new life. So we've been bought with the blood of Christ, and we have this new heart and this new life. The prophet Ezekiel says this. We all need some Ezekiel in our life. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. This is what it says. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Verse 10, this is what Paul says. This is how we get it, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, through Christ we can have this new heart, a heart of flesh. So if you're here this morning, um, and maybe you haven't experienced that, you've never put your faith in Christ, you might not even know what that means, I encourage you to call out to God like David did in Psalm 51, saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God. You see, God is the one that purifies our hearts. We can't do it ourselves. We can't do enough, be good enough, try hard enough. We need a new heart. We need a new heart that can only be given to us by God. And then we experience what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. So this is the pure heart part of it. But then there's a second part of this verse that says, for they shall see God. So what does this mean? What does it mean to see God? So there's this future and kind of present reality here. The future is ultimately that we will see God face to face when we're with him. And with God's word, the Holy Spirit illuminates scripture. We can begin to understand what scripture really says. And we can see God's glory in creation. In fact, I was talking to Scott Deckert this week about the eclipse. You know, we had a great view of the eclipse up here in Minnesota. Uh, it was overcast, cloudy. You could look into it, nothing would happen. It was incredible. But the, but the fact that the moon can cover the, the sun like it does to non-believers, like, wow, that's cool science just happened. For us, it's like, wow, God's design, God's, God's hand is all throughout Scripture. So we have this reality that we see God and his glory in creation. And we also have hope in circumstances that seem hopeless to everyone else because we have this reality that this life itself is not all there is. There is more to come. There is eternity, which no one else has that kind of mindset except believers. And the things of this world kind of grow secondary to us in nature compared to knowing Christ, which Paul experienced in Philippians 3. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So then Jesus continues in Matthew 5 with another beatitude. Check out verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
So again, I'm a simple person. Let's break that down again. Peace. Peace is a word that's shalom. Shalom is not the absence of trouble. It's more than that. It's the wholeness and overall well-being of that individual. And makers is not a passive word at all. It's an active word. It's those that are working for and desire peace, shalom. But who do we need peace with? Why do we need this peace? Well, first is our relationship with God. Again, because of sin, we are considered enemies of God. Enemies. That's a heavy word. You think about enemies in your life, enemies with other nations, like this is at war with each other. So by default, we are enemies of God. But Romans 5.10 says this, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Again, we can't do anything in ourselves to solve this problem of being an enemy of God. And that's, again, why Jesus had to come to reconcile us from enemies to family, to friendship with God. You see, until we put our faith in Christ, we will never have peace with God. We'll always be at war with God. Again, no matter how many Bible verses you memorize, no matter matter how many times you attend church, no, how, no matter how much money you tithe, whether you hold your hands up in worship or not, none of those things are going to save you. The only way you can be saved and have peace and reconciliation with God is through Christ alone. Colossians 1.20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the blood of Jesus is what gives us peace. Jesus himself is our peace. Therefore, we are desperately in need of that truth of the gospel to remind ourselves that that's the good news. That's what's so great about the gospel is that we had no chance. We had no hope. And God loved enough to send the solution, which is Jesus. So we have this this vertical relationship with God that is that was broken because of sin that's now restored because of Christ. So that's one part of the peacemaking. The other is relationships that we have. It's this horizontal kind of relationship we have with people. Peacemaking with people that you encounter on a daily basis. I don't know if you experience this at all, but this is, this is talking about peacemaking, not peacekeeping. Um, if you know anyone that you kind of talk to and you're like, hey, this person like really hurt me, um, you know, so-and-so was really, really terrible to me, a peacemaker would say, hey, Braxton, dude, you got to talk to that person. You got to tell that person how you're feeling. You got to go to that person. Like Matthew 18 says, you got to address the issue, which we never really want to do. We'd rather talk about it. It's way easier, especially if the person's not there. Um, they, they can't defend themselves. So that's, that's the kind of peacemaking. This is a person who desires unity, and any seeds of disunity that people try to plant, they kind of cut off right away. Another kind of example is if you think about people who are kind of dogpiling on someone else, like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? They're terrible. They're awful. They did this. They handled this situation in this terrible way. A peacemaker would say, hey, and point out something positive about who they are and their character, and that's kind of just like this awkward grenade in the conversation because then everyone realizes, like, they're really self-righteous 
um, and now they realize that they're not, and then it's just weird. So you should try it sometime. Just say something positive and see what people kind of freak out. Uh, you know, they don't know what to say. So that's that's the peacemaking. That's the peacemaking that happens in, in relationships. But there's also this reality of of people who don't know Jesus. Of this reality of this ultimate peacemaking is to appeal to those who, who don't know Jesus and say, hey, you're considered an enemy of God. You have this divide between you and God and pleading with them to come back to God. This is what 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 says. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation, the message of peace. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this is a huge reason why when we put our faith in Christ, we don't just get beamed up into space, right? Beam me up, Scotty. That doesn't happen because we have this awesome opportunity to partner with God, to live on mission with God because God is in the business of bringing people to himself and he uses other people to do that. It's ultimately God that does it, but he's so gracious that he invites us into that space. So I I need some participation here for you guys. I want you to raise your hand Everyone's going to, right now, no, I'm just kidding, not right now. I want you to raise your hand if you had someone who shared the gospel with you, and that's a reason, a big reason why you're here this morning. If someone shared the gospel with you as a person that did it, I know that's not everyone's story. Just look around, like that's a big, it's a big impact, right? So God is in the business of, of using us. And this is the big reason why we have these, these white roses, too. It's not to say, hey, look at me. I shared Christ with somebody. I'm so great. But, hey, look at, look, look at a God who desires for people to know him and invites us into this space of being ambassadors for him, of sharing with other people what God has done in our lives, the difference he's made in our lives. That is a joy. That is an amazing opportunity that we have. So the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So let's partner with God, live for him, and share, other pe- share with other people the hope we have in Christ. So then the second part of the verse, verse 9, says, So they shall be called sons of God. Now this verse doesn't tell us how to become sons of God, but scripture is very clear of how we do that. Galatians Chapter 3, verse 26 says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So it's through faith in Christ that we are considered sons of God. Now sons of God isn't saying only males can be in the family of God. It's, it's, a, it's a term that means brought into the family of God. That we're brought into the family of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18 does a great way of really summarizing everything I've talked about here. This is what it says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So that's where we get the tearing of that veil. It was God who did it the top down. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, through Christ, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. So now we're part of God's family. We're part of God's family. This means that people that you didn't really have anything with common, maybe people who are weird or people who come from a different background than you, has a different story, different walk of life, different race, different socioeconomic standing, different job, that we're united by the gospel. This means that you're not alone in this journey of following Jesus. It's not solely this individual experience. It's this community of people who are following Jesus together. This means that if your biological family is broken or non-existent, that you have this new family, this new family that lasts forever. It's this eternal family. So following Jesus was never supposed to be this individual experience, but a community of people who can encourage you, who can walk with you, maybe even carry you at times, and constantly remind you of the gospel, remind you of God's love for you, God's grace for you. So that was a lot of stuff we covered, right? A lot of stuff. So now what? Now that we've talked about all this stuff, how do we respond? You see, I'm not much of a list person because to me, lists are kind of things that you check off and then you forget about them or you do them and call it good. But I am going to go against my better judgment and make a list this morning. And I do need to make a disclaimer here, too, that you could do all these things without putting your faith in Christ. So these things can't save you. Only Jesus can. But here are kind of four things that I want you guys to think about this morning and walk away with this morning. The first is ask yourself, do you have single devotion to God? Have you experienced a pure heart and peace with God? It's that vertical relationship. Maybe you're here again this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. We could do that today. There's people over in that corner over there who would love to pray with you about that. You could talk to Pastor Greg or me, too, um, or our elders about what does it mean to follow Jesus. We would love, love, love to talk to you about that. That will change your life forever. And second is remind yourself of the gospel. So just because we get this new pure heart, this peace with God, doesn't mean that we still don't have desires that go against that. So we have this reality almost of having a heart that loves God and a heart that rebels against God. So we constantly need to remind ourselves of what Christ did for us, of this, this gospel of God's word. For the times in my life where I, I'm divided oftentimes are when I forget about that, when I neglect God's word and I forget the gospel and for me, when that happens, I begin to try to earn my salvation and just be better, do more for the sake of maybe God will accept me instead of understanding that's why Jesus came. So remind yourself, don't underestimate the transformational power of God's word in our lives. We need other people to do that. 
So the third is get involved in a small group or a group of people who love Jesus and who can encourage you and share their lives with you. Again, we weren't meant to follow Jesus by ourselves. So today, if you're interested and you don't have that, we have small group signups out there, and I would encourage you to pray about it, to think about it, maybe even try it out. It's not like you sign up and you're, you're there forever. Um, this is something that you can try out and see, hey, do I even enjoy these people or are they not my people to hang out with? Um, so there's no commitment there long term. You can try it out, but I encourage you, don't try to follow Jesus by yourself. Don't try to do that. It's exhausting and you feel beat up. You need other people around you. This is why the church exists, to encourage, uplift each other and point each other to Jesus. And the, the fourth is this. So we're a church about redemptive relationships. So who are the people in your life that you see on a daily basis, maybe you don't see them on a daily basis, that need to put their faith and trust in Christ? Begin praying for them. I mean, don't view them as these projects or people to be fixed, but people who are valuable, people who are made in the image of God, and people who need a Savior, and that is Christ. Maybe that means inviting a coworker out to dinner. Maybe it means grabbing coffee with a hunting buddy or a sewing buddy or whatever you like to do, buddy. Maybe it means hanging out with a friend from school and talking about life. And odds are, eventually, you're going to have opportunities to share the gospel with that person, what Jesus did in your life. Begin praying for that. And then take advantage of those opportunities. And when you don't, don't beat yourself up but just get the next one. So it's living this peacemaker lifestyle, this lifestyle that loves Jesus and wants other people to know him, that ambassador kind of lifestyle. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In a moment, we're going to take some time um, to worship God through giving. So I'm going to invite the ushers up. I'm going to pray for this offering, and I'm going to pray for our hearts this week. If you bow with me this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity that we don't have to sit with our defiled hearts, our broken hearts, in a hopeless state, but that we can have hope in you. And may we, during this time of, of worship through giving, understand that everything we have is a gift from you. The very breath that we're breathing, the very life that we have, is because you allow it, you say it to be. So I pray that we respond this morning in worship, and that we're able to walk away changed by you, with a pure heart, and with peace with you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.